The International Association for Near-Death Studies presents NDE Radio, a weekly exploration of near-death experiences and similar encounters with the other side. Now, here's your host, Lee Whitting. Welcome to NDE Radio, brought to you by IANS, the International Association for Near-Death Studies. I'm your host, Lee Whitting. This week, I'll be presenting more written accounts of near-death experiences from IAN's monthly email reports to members and from IAN's quarterly publication, Vital Signs. I write a column for Vital Signs, by the way, speculations about all things NDE-related, and one of these days I'll read some of those columns to you. But today I want to share some interesting reports from experiencers and also encourage you to join IAN's so you'll receive information stories such as these firsthand, as well as info about upcoming meetings, such as our conference that's coming up uh, in Orlando in July. Our first story comes uh, from a 2003 uh, issue of Vital Signs. It was titled, Not Afraid of Death, But Not Allowed to Die. The writer says, I'm almost 40 now. In the last few years, I've thought about these events every day. I constantly feel like someone who has partial amnesia. Part of me keeps nagging at me, but as hard as I try, I can't remember everything. It's time for me to come to a better understanding of what happened to me, why it happened, and what do I do with it. I was 12 years old when I attempted suicide. Life at home was anything but happy. It was November 17, 1975. My father had shown me his high blood pressure medication just two days before. He kept the bottle on the top shelf of the medicine cabinet, and it said to me that he needed to get it refilled the next day, and that by far it was the most dangerous thing in the house. If one of us were to take it accidentally, it could kill us. Sure enough, the bottle was full. I remember it took me such a long time to swallow all the pills. I was never afraid, though. I only sad that I believed at the time there was no other alternative. I went to my room and climbed into bed thinking I would just go to sleep and never wake up. My family would finally be happy. It didn't end up being that simple. I woke to feeling that my chest and throat were being crushed. I couldn't breathe or yell out for help. In a desperate attempt to get relief from what was happening to me, I ran to my mother's bedside. She was a nurse, and I thought she would be able to stop it. I couldn't tell her what I had done or tell her what I needed, but I remember vividly fighting for her to breathe air into my mouth. It took her a moment to realize that I was in real trouble. I fought as long as I could, and by now everyone in the house was awake, and I, I could hear them screaming. My mother and aunt were on top of me, holding me down. My head started feeling dizzy, and the pain started to ease. My body felt as though it was getting lighter, lifting off the floor. I rem remember thinking... This must be how it feels when you are dying. I stopped struggling, closed my eyes, and felt myself float away into unconsciousness. It seemed like only a moment or two passed before I opened my eyes. It was pitch black. My first thought was of the absence of pain and how relieved I was that it was gone. I couldn't figure out where I was. I wondered if it was if it were so dark in this place because no light existed or if I was unable to see. So I brought my hand up in front of my face. I could see it there, completely intact, but without flesh. 
I quickly scanned my whole being and realized I was different, but very much whole, and I knew everything I had always known. Looking around me, I realized I was not standing on anything. There was no ground beneath my feet, no sides or corners to walk toward in this place. It was just space that went on forever. I then noticed a tiny white light far away like a star. I had just begun to think about how I could get to it, and I started moving towards it. The closer I got, the faster I was moving, and the larger and brighter it became. I remember thinking that the, star, the, the light was so bright it might hurt my eyes, so I closed them real tight and braced myself for what I thought would be an impact when I ran into it. Instead, there was none. It was like floating through a thin veil and being bathed in white light. Before I could even open my eyes, I felt this new place. I've searched my whole life for words to describe the amount of love and serenity there, but none exist. I had never known what real love felt like, and I sincerely do not believe that we are even capable in our usual state of being. I opened my eyes a little at first just to make sure it was okay. They did not hurt as I thought they would. So wide-eyed, I began to look around me for someone, something, wondering what this place was. Wherever I was, it was the most wonderful place I had ever known or could have ever imagined and I never wanted to leave. Then I heard a man gently, softly, You cannot stay here with me. I remember, remember feeling desperate to locate him, but I couldn't. I soon realized that the white light was coming from him, and he knew me. As though I had left him, and he was there to greet me and explain what was going to happen and why. I immediately responded in my mind with, I do not want to leave here. He chuckled at the determination in my response, like a parent of a child that has innocently requested something that he knows they are not ready for. I knew him right at that very moment. He loved me, no matter what I had ever done, no matter what I would ever do, and I knew that this love he felt for me would never change or diminish. It would stay forever constant, and not just for me, but for everyone and for every living thing, all, for all time. He would never harm me. He was incapable of doing all the horrible things I had been told in Sunday school. Please don't misunderstand. He was not ambivalent about my wrongdoing. He was simply like a parent who loves his child unconditionally. He knew the reasoning behind my acts, right or wrong, and he still loved me. He is also quite capable of being disappointed and firm when need be, as I would experience much later in my life. He followed with a promise to me. It is not time for you to be here with me, but someday you will come back and can stay then. I remember beginning to feel very afraid that he was going to send me away, and I never wanted to go back to my family if it meant leaving him and this place. I remember I began to plead with him to let me stay like any child does in a desperate attempt to convince its parent to give in to its wishes. His final words to me came firmly but lovingly. It's time. I was turned and sent back from that place in the breath of the last word he spoke. The way was lit, and beneath me were black lines that were separate at first, like those on a road, but as I began to move faster over them, they soon blended together. I remember seeing holes in the ground that we fill at death with our loved ones, and I thought of my family, but all the graves were empty. 
Then I just knew that life goes on. None of us really die. I felt so much comfort knowing that all my loved ones would not just cease to exist. They, too, would go to where I had been. I know that it was at this time that I saw so much more, and it was explained to me, but I can't bring back the moment it was taught. I can feel it. It's there in in that part of me, but I, I can't in this state wrap my mind around it. I just know it, it to be more real and truthful than anything else in my entire life, and it gives me so much peace now. When I came back, the first thing I felt was the ease it took to draw the, this deep breath of air into my chest. I opened my eyes to a bright light above my head and a cold surface pressing against my back. There were people everywhere around me, but they seemed surprised. They all started to work frantically on tubes and machines, yelling at one another to do this or get that. A man leaned over, uh, man leaned over me, asking me to tell him my name, if I knew where I was. He was blocking my view of the light above my head. I was wondering if, if that were the light I'd seen. After noticing the metal rim around the light, I finally said to my first name and told him the hospital. He smiled and told me what a good girl I was and everything was going to be all right. He looked away and told someone to go tell the family I was awake and that he would be out to talk to them soon. He just kept telling me it was all right now and I could rest. I wanted so much to go back to sleep and wake up where I had just come from. When I did wake again, it was in another room. This time I was covered in warm blankets. My mother was at my side. She stood and looked at me, and I could see the anger in her face. She asked me what in the hell was I thinking. I told her what I'd seen when I was asleep. She gritted her teeth at me and said that I almost didn't wake up. At one point, they told me they couldn't do any more for me. Did I understand why I, what I had done? She followed it with, when I get you home, you have an ass-whipping coming. That was the defining moment for my life for many years to come. There were no hugs, no I love you, just anger and disappointment. I spent the next four and a half years filled with doctors, countless hospitals and mental institutions for repeated suicide attempts. None produced the result I wanted. I felt hurt, angry, rejected. I had no fear of death. I looked at each day as an opportunity to possibly succeed in what I had failed to do, failed in doing the day before. I got involved with drugs and alcohol, and if they didn't kill me, they gave me enough courage to play games that might do so. People gave up on me and accepted that someday I would succeed. Days turned into years, and the only thing I succeeded in doing was hurting or destroying relationships with those who that truly loved and cared. Although not directly responsible, my actions created reactions, and my best friend ended up dead. I walked away from many opportunities that could have meant a better life for my children and myself, even now. There were times over the years that I would dream, and this same angel descended toward me from the light and smiled at me as though to let me know I was still loved and was going to be okay. I finally stopped trying to go back when I came to the conclusion after so many failures that God was simply not going to let me die. And believe me, by all rights, I shouldn't be here. Then an experience occurred in my early 30s, which came out of nowhere. I was in the third year of extensive counseling for the abuse I had suffered as a child. The sessions had been emotionally brutal for me, 
And I was feeling like I could not go on having to relive that pain over and over indefinitely. I was sitting there one day thinking that no matter how much I wanted to be the parent my two small sons deserved, I was simply too screwed up and they would be better off if I'd die and they could be spared having to deal with their mother for the rest of their lives. I was sitting there across from the counselor listening to her telling me about how I had come so far and had survived so much. I was a great mother to my sons. I had spared them the pain I knew. I felt my head get heavier and fall backward. There was this roaring sound as I was lifted out of my chair and pulled very quickly toward the place in the dark where I had been as a child. Finally, I came to a stop and tried to get bearings as to where I was and what had just happened. I quickly realized I was not alone. Millions of others were there, all moving together like one single force. I could not see them, but I knew they were there. The movement was steady and continuous, like a line of people just walking around in circles. I was separate from them, though. Then I saw the light I had seen as a child, behind and slightly higher from them. I knew he was there, watching and waiting. Like before, I was curious and would begin a thought and suddenly know the answer. The others could not enter. Their existence was between these two separate planes. They knew all there was to know of each plane, how they wanted so much to change what they had done and couldn't. They were fully aware of all truths and the purpose of life, of the pain of their choices, of the pain their choices had created while here on earth against themselves and others. They were aware of the great suffering they had caused. My heart ached for them. But why was I there? I suddenly saw my sons before me, and instantly I felt this indescribable pain. My mind became acutely aware of the pain and suffering born out of my choice of self-destruction. For my sons, for those who knew me, and for those I would never meet, I knew then this would be my existence, this place of knowing my real worth, how my actions were like stones tossed into a pond. They rippled out, crossing over the entire surface of the earth, forever affecting and changing the face of it. I will see and feel everything I had ever done and could have been. In this place, I will know the truth of all things and be unable to change or be a part of it, any of it. I don't know if the biblical hell exists, but I can tell you the suffering here was worse than any description I had ever been given. To me, this was hell enough. Created out of our own selfish choices, God had no need to create a place to torture us for the waste and destruction we had committed. We had enough to torture ourselves with. The pace of those there began to move more quickly, like they knew I was there. I felt like I had stayed too long and now was becoming a part of this place. I wanted to leave and half expected uh, just the thought would free me from it. In panic, I looked back toward the light and I knew I was being given a choice. I could stay, but I would have to exist knowing what I had created. If I chose to return to Earth, I was not to ever attempt my own destruction. That in doing so, I was, I am committing the ultimate crime against self, against the purpose of this life, against the wisdom of God. God was teaching me a lesson about my carelessness, about the impact I have on all, all of life, that he was the creator, and I, above all else, had the power to, of choice to govern my life, my final destiny. As soon as I believed uh, through my entire self, my own worth, my responsibility to life, to 
all those I exist here with, and finally that I would never attempt such a selfish act as my own death, I was released from the place. I returned to find my counselor in a panic. She had already run to get help and had just returned. She told me later she thought I had died. Both times that I returned from the other world, I explained in detail what I had experienced to the first people I saw. As a little girl, I was told that the whole event was never to be spoken of. This time, the counselor told me of others who had given accounts of some of the same things I described, but she could not explain why it happened to me under the circumstances. I can tell you that this is the last, ex- that this last experience changed the course of my life. How I see myself, how I perceive life, uh, mine and that which exists around me. I find myself honoring the totality of my life to this date, good and bad. It took every moment for me to know what I know and to be able to do good with it. That life is a gift. That life is a gift. I am, I am here in as much as I have been given the opportunity to experience and to grow. And with that, to always make my best effort to give the best of myself to all those I can in the span of my lifetime, to understand and accept that I cannot escape fallibility, nor can anyone else, because in it I learn the difference between good and evil, right and wrong, and finally love and hatred. That, when I know the difference, my choice will define life. I don't know what those souls in the dark place had done to be there, or what will happen to them eventually, if anything. In my own judgment, I know that I already have and will commit enough pain in this lifetime that I too should be convicted to that place. But I also know that God knows me as well as all of my life choices and the consequences they created. And still he has promised me that I would return to him someday in the light. This next story uh, comes from the... uh, 2007 Vital Signs, uh, number four, must have been the fall. You will be able to go on, it's called. When I had a, just turned 35, I had a near-death experience, a marvelous, peaceful, and spiritual experience that has been the single most profound event of my life. At the time, I'd gone through a divorce and moved to California with my two young sons, My life was beginning to turn around when I was hit with three brain aneurysms and went into a coma for a month. They had to clip two of the aneurysms. Apparently, the NDE happened just before I had the surgery. I left my body and was out in the dark universe. I was aware that I was out of my body, but I knew I was myself, and a fiery, orangey ball of light was coming toward me. It completely enclosed me, and I was aware of a loving, warm presence. A divine presence then appeared and said, I've been trying to talk with you, and you have been so stubborn. It was the most fantastic experience I've ever had, and it was completely love. At that moment, I realized that there were moments in my life that I felt something else had been there, but I hadn't thought of God for a long time. I was so excited that I wanted to know all about it, but... Suddenly I was back in my body. I really wanted to go on with the experience, but instead it was as if I was being pushed down a tunnel, and at the bottom I found myself back in my body. Now I was out of the coma and in intensive care. I was aware that I was back here, 
but at the same time there was another being in the room. I knew he was there, but it wasn't until much later that I realized no one else saw him. I now call him my spiritual friend or my angel, and we communicated. I had been so furious, so mad that I wasn't allowed to go on. Essentially, I wanted to die. I was a terrible patient, but my friend was telling me that it wasn't time, my boys were young, and I needed to help others. Apparently, when we talked, I calmed down. My parents thought I was getting better, but then I remembered the experience and got mad again. Finally, I said to my friend, if I go on living, as if it were to be my decision, I will be paralyzed and I can't walk. He said, if you have the will, and Carolyn, you have it, you will be able to go on. Then he left. After that, I switched from being an obnoxious patient to someone who wanted to live. I went to the rehab hospital, and with excellent care and the will to do it, I did go on living. While my rehabilitation continued, I went to Boise, Idaho, to live with my parents. I really remembered the experience, but didn't know how to talk about it. Then a friend from California sent me Raymond Moody's book, Life After Life. The first person I told about the whole experience was another close friend who'd come to visit. She then asked me if I wanted to die. I said, I don't think about dying, but when I do, it'll be fine. No one should be afraid of dying. I think you go to another level of living. The next day, my mother and I were driving to a doctor's appointment when another car crashed into us. I hit the front window and was knocked out, and we were taken to the hospital all I know is that I left my body again, went through a tunnel, and was left on a cloud. There was my spiritual friend, and he asked if I wanted to go on. I said, I haven't been with my boys, but if it is time, I would be pleased to go. The next thing I knew, I was in the emergency room, and 12 stitches were put around my right eye. When I opened the other eye, I saw my father, who had not been in the car, and told him I was back again in a very pleasant way. The car had been demolished. Mother was not seriously hurt, but very upset. However, I was never upset. No one could understand. Later, I attended a meeting of lawyers who had been helping my parents deal with the hospital bills from when I was in the coma. They had asked a lawyer from San Francisco to see if I could sue the hospital for malpractice. All of a sudden, I, I really started thinking about the seriousness of the case. The attorney from San Francisco was saying that if we went to court, I would have to talk about how awful my life had been. They wanted to show that I that I should have been kept in the hospital. I said that I couldn't say that because what had happened to me was good. I said it was an excellent experience. The attorney said I had to keep those ideas to myself, especially if I wanted to win the case. I said I couldn't lie and that essentially I was happy. I told the attorney I was sorry he'd been asked to come for the meeting. The other attorneys were shocked, and I tried to tell them about the experience. It turned out that my legal bills were all worked out. I'm now 64, and a lot of things have happened, but the experience is still very much a part of my life. My sons have grown and have good lives. Yes, I am disabled, but I have lived independently with lots of help from family and friends. My spiritual friend is still with me, and I think that everyone has one. Since then, I have had many different experiences, some small, some profound, and uh, some in deep dreams. I would like to share one of these experiences. 
One Friday afternoon, I was walking to the Metro subway to go home and remembered that I needed to get the special tickets for handicapped riders. That meant waiting for just the right train that would make that stop. When I got off the train, I saw an old friend. We used to sit together as we went to the same stop. He was married with one daughter and was close to retirement. Now they were going to do some traveling. When I saw him, we shook hands and I mentioned I hadn't seen him for some time. He told me that his wife had died. She'd been hit with cancer very fast and was now gone. I gave him a hug and we talked for a few minutes. I told him I knew it was very hard on him, but maybe he should think about that his wife was now in a good place and that he could help his daughter. I told him he could always call me for help. Well, as I walked away, I felt that my spiritual friend had told me to get on the train so that I could help my friend. Soon after, I saw him again at the metro station, and he asked me to meet him for a meeting after work, to which I agreed. He said he hadn't told me the whole story about losing his wife. Apparently, she'd asked him to go out to get something special to eat, which he did, and when he got back, he discovered that she'd killed herself. He said he missed her so much that when we ran into each other on Friday... He had just made the decision to go back to his apartment and kill himself. But after our talk, he decided not to do it. At least not yet. He thanked me for the talk. Since then, I've kept in touch with him. He sees his daughter and has remarried. And today, I believe that my spiritual friend made sure I got on that train. I think we have time for... Probably just one more short one. Let's see. This is one of the near-death experience stories that um, comes to uh, members of IONS via email. It's titled, Light Always Around Us. I was asleep alone in a condo in Hawaii. I heard my name being softly but urgently called over and over. Half asleep, I turned over to see what was going on. There, just above the bedroom dresser, was the light. It was indescribably bright, but at the same time, impossibly tiny, as if it were shining from light years away or peeking through from another dimension. My soul instantly recognized it, and in a burst of pure ecstasy, leaped out of my body toward and into it. The light is all hidden knowledge revealed, all hurt healed, all longings granted, and an endless reservoir of love, patience, humor, tenderness, power, and understanding. It pulled away from me and then led me through the walls of the condo into the garden, which transformed into a glorious temple. I understood then that a temple was what it had been all the time, only I hadn't been able to see it. I was also made aware that the light is around us at all, all the time, but like the 15 pounds per square body inch of pressure that the atmosphere exerts upon us at sea level, its presence is so common and so constant we can't see it anymore. It hides in plain sight. There were people in the garden's temple. I couldn't say how many, more than two, but less than 40 is the best estimate I can give. They told me how much they had missed me and led me to a spring of clear water flowing through the center of the temple. They bathed me in this water and dressed me in the same flowing all-color garments that they wore, except for a sash around the waist. They explained that if I put on the sash, I could not return, and I must return. There were things I must do, but first there were things I needed to remember. 
This was the thread that ran through the entire episode. Remember, none of us are new to this plane of existence. I was taken to an ornate chair upon which rested an enormous book. One of the men opened it and pointed to a page. Each page was a separate life. Each page flowed into the next, more like a video than a book. What I was shown was specific to me, and it is not something that I share with others. However, my guides explained to me that for everyone, life could be considered a very serious game. I can only describe it as an eternal game of shoots and ladders. We are free to pull one another up or push uh, one another down. And each choice we make in our lives acts to secure a particular place on the game board. Less flippantly, we are reborn again and again to experience all there is to experience both good and bad, including love, hate, tenderness, abuse, murder, suicide, birth, and death. This is so we may ultimately return, not just to become one in understanding with the light, but to become a light ourselves. I was led back to my body and told I should return. This, I understood, was a choice I actively had to make. It could not be forced upon me. At the same time, I realized that everything in the universe is the sole possession of deity except for one's immortal soul. And when I returned, I felt paralyzed and could not move for roughly half an hour. And I was as cold as if I had awakened in a snowbank. Well, we are just about out of time for today. And I am just going to wrap up by saying that uh, if you've had a near-death experience, I would urge you to write up the uh, details and submit it to the IONS office at IONS.org. There will be uh, there it will be archived for further research without your name being used, if you so wish. And, of course, we are always interested in hearing your story on the air as well. So drop me an email if you've had an NDE you'd like to discuss on the show. And if you'd like to listen again to this or any of our past shows, just go to our website at nderadio.org. And for more information about the work of IONS and our upcoming conference in Orlando, Florida in July, check out that website, iands.org. And tune in next Monday, 11 a.m. Eastern, for more NDE Radio. This is Lee Whitting saying thanks for listening.